from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 225 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm doing well. Trying to think about my plans for Independence Day in the United States. That is 4th of July when we celebrate the birth of our country. Do you have any special plans for 4th of July? Uh, um, honestly, no. I'm probably just going to sleep if at all possible. <laughs> so uh, It's a little bit crazy because as of the time most people are listening to this, I'm probably just getting off well i'm either still on the disney wish or i'm just getting off of it and uh then i have a couple days in between uh, the wish and uh then my next adventure where i'm heading out to southern california for an adventures by disney trip and doing some national parks and uh trying to have hopefully a little semblance of a, a real vacation in there oh that's wonderful yeah i have a uh i I have a a lot going on so i think i might just exercise my uh my rights to uh to just sleep all day on the fourth of july (laughs) but i'll probably end up working i'm sure pete will be like we got to record stuff okay on fourth of july that's terrible who who knows (laughs) well we'll be uh uh, I'm having friends over like I do every year and we'll have food and then, uh, you know, shoot off fireworks because they are legal here. The, you know, safe and sane fireworks and all that. So we always do that. And so it'll be a, a fairly traditional 4th of July. I'm hoping it's not going to be 104 or something that day. But, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Always have fun. And I'll watch some of the traditional movies that we've talked about in the past that we like to watch. On Fourth of July, and that yeah. time. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Well, if you listen to the live Diz Unplugged brought podcast on our recent podcast cruise 7.0, you heard me say that I had read a book on the history of the Disney Cruise Lines, and the book I read was Hidden Treasures of Disney Cruise Line: Nautical Notes, Knowledge, and Nonsense by Disney historian and author Jim Corcus. In a previous episode, we began a conversation about Jim's book and events that led up to the creation of the Disney Cruise Line, and we're going to continue our conversation with Jim in this episode. So if you haven't listened to our previous episode, you may want to pause and listen to the beginning of our conversation with Jim. And these conversations are perfect, Craig, since you're getting on the Disney Wish. That's very true. I didn't even think about that. We didn't even time this around that, I think. I don't know. Maybe we did. Who knows? (laughs) Well, let's let's say we did, and that it was, <laughs> and, and that it was just perfect timing on our part. A deal in here. 
Yeah, but now let's get back to Jim Corcus, author of The Hidden Treasures of the Disney Cruise Line, and, and see what stories he's going to share with us this week. Now, I remember reading many, many years ago, I came across something that said that the Walt Disney Company was developing an idea for a floating theme park that would travel to different countries. And you you go into a lot of detail about that in your book, Hidden yeah, Treasures I, I of the Disney enti- Cruise Line. Yeah, I have an entire chapter on that, oh, yeah. an entire chapter on um, uh, uh, Disney Seas, and uh, mm-hmm. an entire chapter on Walt Cruising and all that. And so... Yeah. You're you're doing really well promoting my book, <laughs> oh, but, but 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 yes, how? the SS Disney came, yeah. uh, you know, basically as a as a, a, a joke to begin with. Is well, uh, I was Cora. wondering how realistic was this? Well, it actually was more realistic than you might have thought. Uh, Jim Cora, who who just released uh, a, a book of his experiences uh, working at Disney, and I'm glad. Some of these old timers are, are are finally doing that. Although I notice that some of their memories are um, uh, edited uh, to match the Disney agenda, uh, the Disney narrative. But uh, Jim Cora was was involved with um, uh, the uh, overseas parks, uh, uh, Euro Disney and uh, Tokyo Disneyland, and uh, uh, he was at a fundraising dinner. And he was seated next to a uh, uh, U.S. Uh, Navy admiral. And, you know, after a couple of drinks and, uh, you know, just the good spirit of the time, the admiral says, uh, uh, you know, if you ever want, I, I have an old aircraft uh, uh, carrier that Disney can, can build a theme park on. Ah, ah. <laughs> well, Cora went home that night and he thought, that might not be such a bad idea, you know, because it's very expensive to build in foreign countries, and you're, you're dealing with all sorts of cultural issues. You know, that, that's one of the reasons Euro Disney blew up in the beginning, too, was, you know, it, it, they didn't realize that uh, the French would like, you know, a, a glass of wine at lunch, you know. Mm-hmm. They didn't realize that uh, wearing facial hair was very important to them. So, Cora thought, what if you had a ship, and it was a Disney theme park, and then it could travel to all these different ports, and it would stay there um, for, uh, you know, uh, three months, and it wouldn't come back for four to five years. So that would increase attendance because some of these places were uh, so small that they couldn't support, you know, a, a year-round Disney theme park, but one that was there for three months, you know, you, it, it, the line would be out the door and down the block, and, and you half the, half the crew would be permanent, and then the other half you would hire at the particular location and train, you know, to work for that, for that three months. And so he started investigating and he decided that, uh, you know, an aircraft carrier is actually too small. So you needed an oil tanker. And then finally they decided it uh, had to be a super tanker. <laughs> and, and again, it wasn't one ship. It was going to be a, uh, a fleet of three ships because, 
you know, you're packing all of these attractions and food and beverage locations and all this onto the tanker, you have very, you know, very little room left because each inch is, is, is so valuable. So um, you would purchase a passenger ship uh, to house all of the staff, you know, uh, so that when you got to the location, it would go off, and you would need a third smaller ship to shoot off fireworks because you couldn't shoot it off from the oil tanker because there were really um, uh, safety concerns. And, uh, you know, they, they were looking, you know, where, where could they, they go? And uh, Shanghai, Hong Kong, Taiwan, uh, Dubai, uh, Cape Town, Australia, Honolulu, all of these. And um, it looked like, hey, this could work. It, it's going to be expensive, but it could work, you know. And um, so uh, what would happen is uh, they would send um, shipping containers to the location uh, about two to three weeks ahead of time, and during that time they would train the the junior staff who, who from the area who would work on the ship. But but there would be merchandise and all of this, you know, to to get people all excited about you know uh, the ship coming. And when the ship came, it uh, you had about five decks, so it, it was packed with stuff. There, there'd be a, a, a on on the upper deck. There'd be a carousel. It'd be under a glass dome because, again, you know, you, you're worried about um, uh, sea corrosion and weather and, and, and that type of thing. Uh, there would be a Ferris wheel that had exterior armatures that would collapse towards the deck when the ship sailed to another port, so it's not sticking up high in the air. Uh, there'd be uh, Dumbo. Basically, they picked uh, attractions from Fantasyland and Tomorrowland because they felt for international cultures, things like Main Street USA wouldn't make much sense whatsoever, or Frontierland, and, and even Adventureland. You know, why would you have Adventureland when you're you're going to a location where they have their own jungles and 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 all of that, um, and. Uh, there, there would be uh, the small world ride, but it wouldn't be on a water flume because water is very heavy uh, on a on a ship. So you don't want to deal with that. So it would be on a bus bar, like uh, uh, a haunted mansion, you know, mm-hmm. uh, omnimovers uh, moving uh, moving through that. And um, you, you'd have an Aladdin dark ride. Um, you know, reminiscent of the Cave of Wonders, there was going to be a Little Mermaid ride where you uh, rode on suspended gondolas, like the Peter Pan's flight, so it was like mimicking floating underneath uh, the sea, and, and you'd have a 3D theater, and what Eisner wanted, and there was enough room for it, because it was big enough and deep enough, is he wanted an iron roller coaster like Space Mountain. Oh but again, goodness. you can't call it Space Mountain because, you know, it, it, it's inside a ship. And so Eisner wanted it based on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the runaway car or car, you know. Mm-hmm. So it would be very similar to, the, like, the wild mouse ride, like the primeval whirl uh, out at uh, Disney Animal Kingdom. And, and, you know, you'd go back. And, and there were all sorts of... Uh, uh, stuff, you know, and, and then they had to plan for a central kitchen and, uh, 
uh, and all of these uh, things. And uh, once again, uh, the death of Frank Wells and um, uh, the hemorrhaging of money from Euro Disney, you know, uh, canceled that project. But because they were just starting to look at um, what are the questions, you know, uh, would there be enough profit generated, you know, without nearby Disney Resort hotels that funneled in so much additional money to support the theme parks? Would there be enough parking available at, at, at each uh, uh, location? Uh, would there be facilities where they could unload sewage, you know, uh, and uh, how how expensive would it be to uh, replace existing attractions, especially the ones that are inside the ship, you know, uh, what type of medical facilities would be necessary? Um, you know, uh, how much would maintenance, uh, cost, cost be, you know, uh, you know, what, what are the, uh, legal issues at, at each of these places, you know? Um, so, you know, an, an awful lot of unanswered questions. So it wasn't like, Oh yeah, this is ready to go. But it, it did get to the point of, we could do this. <laughs> huh. We could make this work, you know? That's amazing. I had no idea it had gotten that far. And you have a lot more details in the book, too. Oh, yes. And, 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 and for those, uh, and again, I don't have uh, pictures in my book because, again, uh, this may come as a shock to some people. Uh, you can't use Disney pictures uh, unless you pay for them. And the minimum cost is $125 a picture if Disney allows you to use it. And Disney will only allow you to use it if it can review the text of your book. I had heard that. <laughs> yes. So, so, so that, that is one of the reasons that I don't use uh, uh, uh pictures and illustrations is because I don't get in trouble with Disney because mm-hmm. I'm not using anything of Disney's and I can also, you know, uh, I, I don't say anything derogatory uh, uh, about Disney. As we talked about, you can love the Disney brand, you know, the characters, what it feels like being in the parks and all that, but still have concerns about how the Disney business operates. Right. Exactly, and, and 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 I love Disney. That's why I write about Disney. I don't write about Disney because I hate it. In fact, I turn down, you know, a, a lot of things. Fox News calls me all the time to have me talk as an expert about Disney. You know, especially like with the Reedy Creek situation, or or if somebody gets bit by an alligator or whatever. And I just say, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not interested in talking about that, and I'm not mm-hmm. an expert on that. So. Um, so yeah, so the book will be packed with lots of things that uh, uh, you know we, we'll get into this later. But but yeah, I I, I list enchanted art paintings, you know, uh, on on the on the ships. I I, I list uh, you know a, a lot of things, uh, in, including how turtle talk works. You know, um, wouldn't have been able to do that if Disney had reviewed my my manuscript. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I I you know. My gosh, you know, actually, it makes more sense because look at the problems that Disney is having with it, with its foreign parks, you know, especially uh, in China, 
you know, and especially with the lockdowns in China, you know, how, how do you deal with some, something like that? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, the Disney finally got into the cruise line business, <laughs> yes. and my sister-in-law and her family experienced this. The, they, they sailed on the big red boat with the premier cruise lines, mm. and it featured Disney characters. And they said that the, the ship was a bit dated, and you go into the reason why in your book, and, and the hidden treasures of the Disney cruise lines. But how did Disney get involved with premier cruise lines and not like one of the bigger ones, like Royal Caribbean or Carnival or someone like that? Well, and, uh, again, this is uh, Michael Eisner. Uh, uh, you know, uh, what he wants to do is he wants to diversify the Disney company. And Michael Eisner, the first five, ten years of him being CEO, my gosh, he just transformed the company from a mom-and-pop company into a global entertainment empire. And, and he was constantly tossing out ideas and all that. It was only towards the end of his tenure that he started to get a little toxic because he wouldn't listen to anybody else. Well, he saw that uh, one of the growing businesses was uh, uh, cruise lines. And uh, uh, Premier Cruise uh, uh, started as uh, a a small uh, outfit, but it had a very visionary leader. Most cruise ships went out of Miami. This guy said, well, we're looking at this, and a large portion of the people going on cruise ships come from Central Florida. What if we went out of Central Florida? You know, and that way we could also tie in, you know, uh, with the theme parks and the entertainment uh, here. And uh, while other cruise ships uh, allow kids, what if we embrace kids? What if we create an entire section just for kids, you know, and have youth counselors and, and activities just for kids? You know, very vision. And, and you'll notice that Eisner stole all of these ideas, right? Yes, mm-hmm. we'll go out of Cape Canaveral. We'll, have, you know, we'll welcome kids on board and all of this. Um, so in 1985, Disney decided to partner because Eisner immediately saw that, uh, okay, if we, if we make uh, Premier Cruise Lines the official cruise line of Walt Disney World, maybe we can tie in a package. You know, you're three days at sea and then four days at a park, Disney Parks, or four days at sea and three days at, at, at the Walt Disney World uh, Parks. And my gosh, the money just started started to to pour in. Also, the fact that you know uh, the guy running Premier Cruise Line was the one who came up with Let, let's just do these three to four day cruises. You know, it'll be less expensive. All, all of this, and so you have all of these advertisements of you know Disney characters, you know, uh, cavorting on the ship and. Uh, you know, it's the official cruise line and, and all, all of these uh, uh, marketing taglines of magic and, and uh, uh, all of this. And so people were very excited. However, once you were actually on the cruise, you didn't see the characters that much. You know, it, it, it was sort of like adding condiments to your meal. 
You know, they were there, but they weren't walking around the ship all the time. You didn't have an awful lot of uh, opportunity to interact uh, with them, you know, Uh, but they were there, and and sometimes, you know, they were there for uh, special uh, events, you know, like like the Premier Cruise Line went uh, to um, a, a, a small island as as part of Treasure Key, Tre- uh, Treasure Key actually, Treasure Key, and um, the, uh, on Treasure Key, Captain Hook and Mister Smee would appear and induct guests into their pirate crew for a buccaneer bash. And that included fire eaters and limbo dancers and junkaroo uh, uh, musicians and a special midnight buffet on, on on the beach. You know, who would ever think on a cruise line to have a pirates' night? You know, and <laughs> and and have a buccaneer bash. You know, with with special food and Disney characters and. You know, I I can't imagine any cruise line that could come up with an idea like that. Very novel, yeah. <laughs> very very novel, you know, and uh, have people dress up like pirates. Okay, um, and uh, so you know, this worked uh, uh, pretty well, you know, and uh, um, uh, it, but then uh, what happened? And uh, there seems to be, um, uh, what do I want to say? There there seems to be some uh, discussion about what it it was that broke the contract in 1991. Uh, Some had suggested that um, Eisner was seeing, you know, how much this was making, and so he increased the licensing fee, you know, uh, exorbitantly, you know, so it was no longer financially viable for Premier to have Disney characters on the ship. I, Eisner would do that. You know, one of the, the ways Eisner tried to force the Rather co- Corporation to sell to him is he increased the fees for the monorail yeah. to stop at the Disneyland Hotel. And they were you know? exorbitant. I mean, they were huge. The fees he was going to charge. Yes, and um, but but the other reason too was that uh, a more benign reason is that Eisner uh, seemed to be uh, concerned that uh, you know people were seeing this as a Disney ship, and it really wasn't. It had Disney characters. But Disney wasn't involved with any part of the experience, you know, like the accommodations or the uh, food and entertainment, you know. And um, so, you know, they opt out. And, uh, you know, during during 1992, Eisner is trying to negotiate, uh, you know, a new contract with uh, Carnival Cruise Line and also the Royal Caribbean. Uh, cruise line, which is considered uh, the main competitor uh, to the Disney Cruise Line to this day, because uh, again, their cruises are half the price. Of a Disney yes, cruise. they are, <laughs> and, and and they offer many of the the same uh, uh, things. Although I don't know what cruise line it is. I just saw an advertisement on on TV this week of a cruise line that had a bunch of kids, and it was advertising the fact that no kids were allowed on the cruise. And that that was the selling point. 
Hmm. Um, and, and of course, the Premier Cruise Line had uh, uh, casinos, which was something that Eisner originally uh, wanted on the Disney Cruise Line and until people advised him and, and said, listen, if people lose money on the Disney Cruise, it's going to be the unhappiest cruise of their life. You don't want to do that. You know, but, yeah. um, yeah, so, so the big red boat, uh, 1985 through the end of 1991 and, um, my gosh, yeah, very, very, uh, uh, successful. And then when, uh, uh, Disney pulled out, uh, they made arrangements with Warner brothers. So they got the cartoon characters like Bugs Bunny and, Pepe Le Pew and all that, but it wasn't quite uh, quite the same. And uh, the company actually went bankrupt in uh, 2000, and the ships were sold off to other companies. And uh, uh, actually, later ended up uh, being scrapped. But uh, yeah, a lot they of were people, older and, ships. especially I think, some people uh, uh, listening to this podcast might have uh, memories of that or memories of the advertisements because. Uh, I was a California boy, so uh, I, I I loved watching the uh, uh, the Disney Christmas Parade on on uh, on mm-hmm. Christmas Day, and I remember ads for the Big Red Boat, you know, yeah. and I just I assumed, oh yeah, well that's Disney. It was. yeah, because they highlighted the characters being on that mm-hmm. ship, and and you you had the impression they had a bigger presence than they really did. Yes. Yeah. Now, in your book, you share facts and stories about each ship in the fleet. I was wondering if you could just share a few highlights about each ship, maybe things you think people should keep an eye out for. So let's start with the Magic. That's my favorite ship so far. Oh, and and, and the Magic was was the very first ship uh, (laughs) that I sailed on. Uh, In fact, I sailed on it in 1998 because uh, I was an animation instructor at the Disney Institute, and so they pulled some of us out uh, periodically to go on the ship, uh, you know, to, to do classes about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, hand-drawn animation, which nobody cares about these days, and cell painting, and nobody cares about that these days, and Walt and, uh, and uh, all of that. Well, I, I think one thing that some people may not realize about the Disney magic is that originally it was uh, 964 feet long, and that's the same length as the Disney Wonder. Mm-hmm. But in 2014, uh, 20 feet of steel <laughs> were added to the back of the ship to support uh, the uh, addition of the aqueduct, you know, uh, uh, for, uh, for that. And, and that the godmother for the Disney magic was Patty, uh, Disney, who was, uh, Roy E. Disney, that Roy E. Disney is the guy who revived Disney animation there. Uh, Roy E. Disney's wife at the time. And interestingly enough, and of course a ship's godmother christens the ship and blesses it and is supposed to be watching over it and guide it as it, uh, uh, goes through all of this. But interestingly, and I, I've only uh, heard of this one time, Roy was made the godfather <laughs> of the ship. 
Oh, so really? Roy E. Disney was the yeah. godfather of the Disney magic, and, and I don't. There's never been another godfather for any uh, other ship, uh, you know that that I know of. You know, and we talked about the Disney Wonder. Uh, there are two interesting things, uh, uh, very interesting things uh, about it, is that the godmother is Tinkerbell, and this is the first time in history that an animated or fictional character has been a godmother of a ship. Now, because she's the godmother of the ship, the ship is the first ship ever to be christened at night. And that was done so they could project lasers with Tinkerbell flying along the side of the ship and sprinkling uh, 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 pixie dust. Uh, along there. I watched that on TV. I remember that. That was cool. It, it was very, very cool. You know, when, when Disney does something right, it really does it right. You know? And and mm-hmm. that was it. And one of the shows that debuted on, on, on the Disney Wonder was the Golden Mickeys. And, and it, it's still running today, you know, with, with some variations. And for those who have Never seen it. it it's it's a uh, sort of a fake uh, award show. There's really no competition involved. It's just an excuse to showcase showcase musical highlights from some of the Disney animated features. But um, uh, one of the performers who uh, debuted that show, Jennifer Hudson. And this is before American Idol. And in fact, when the Disney Dream launched, Jennifer Hudson was made the godmother of the Disney Dream. Not only because of of her uh, work on the Disney Wonder, she she was also uh, uh, Calliope the Muse in Hercules the Musical, and she was a soloist Mm -hmm. in uh, Circle of Life. And uh, I, I, for the Golden Mickeys, she played the role of Rona Rivers, who, who was the uh, uh, sort of the hostess uh, uh, for that. And um, the reason, one of the reasons she's the godmother of the Disney Dream is she, a couple of years earlier, she won the Best Supporting Academy Award for her role in Dreamgirls. And... Uh, <laughs> y- y- you know, I, I thought, my gosh, they're not going to be able to top, you know, Tinkerbell flying around the side of the ship. But what they did for uh, the Disney Dream is they hoisted up a 16-foot-tall champagne-shaped bottle and crashed that against the the side of the, the, the ship to release uh, uh, dreams of, of adventure, fantasy, friendship, romance, and fun. You know, um, and I, and I love the Disney Dream. The Disney Dream is the last ship I, I went on. That was in uh, uh, January 2020, and um, uh, the atrium statue. You know, on uh, uh, on the Magic, it, it's Helmsman uh, uh, Mickey, and um, on the Wonder, it's it's Ariel. But but here on uh, the Disney Dream, it's Admiral Donald Duck. Yes. <laughs> uh, which, which which is based on on a figure from uh, one of the Disney uh, animated shorts in 1939, Sea Scout. So he's wearing 
you know, the same outfit and all that. And and if you ask the crew, well, uh, uh, why is he Admiral Donald Duck? They'll tell you he insisted he had to have a higher ranking than Captain Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and so that's why it's Admiral Donald Duck. That's in keeping you know, with his personality, that's for sure. In keeping uh, with, with his personality. And... Um, uh, uh, let me share a secret or two about the Disney Dream uh, because, again, that that's the one that's uh, clearest in in, in 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 my mind. You know, w- one of the things I liked, and don't rush, don't all rush to do this. In the nightclub district, at the at 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 the back of the ship, late at night, at ten forty five. They put out for an hour a free buffet where you could get uh, bruschetta bread, uh, you could get mini pizzas, you get mini desserts, and they change it each night. And 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 I hate to admit this because because again that's much better than the quick serve. You know, uh, up top I would go down there and get a little plate and I would load up the plate and cover it with a napkin and then just take it to my room. <laughs> <laughs> the nosh and 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 again, as I told you, you find out things after the fact. I later found out that the Cove Cafe sets out an antipasto platter the same time. So you know, uh, I I always like uh, first seating. So you know, I I, I go get dinner and then uh, go see the show and then I go to you know. Uh, get that little buffet stuff, and sometimes I'll actually take it up uh, onto deck and just sit there with the free soda and, and watch things that are going on. But um, but again, I'm 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 also very food oriented. The, the first time I went on a Disney cruise, I went on as a passenger, and they had to unload me as cargo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, when it's all you can eat. They really need to have a Disney cast member standing next to you going, that's all you can eat. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. No, but there's more stuff here. There's there's still donuts, you know. (laughs) Um, And uh, I will tell you, uh, the worst time of my life is uh, the day or two after I leave the ship and I realize that I don't have this endless buffet of food. <laughs> you know, it's, oh it's no, I should have eaten yeah, more it's... on the ship. <laughs> I, I should have had that second That's turkey leg. Um, also, uh, on the Disney Dream, something that I didn't uh, discover until uh, the last trip is on Deck 5, you know, you, you have the Oceaneers Club. And of course, you know, you're not allowed to go into the Oceaneers Club, um, and, and but down at the end of the hall is a cabin for Peppy the Prawn, and for those who don't know who Peppy the Prawn is, that that's a uh, a Muppets uh, a, a character, and so it it's his cabin, and on the outside uh, are all of these wonderful Muppet decorations. And and there's also a sign that says, uh, call me, you know, so you can call him on, on, on the ship's phone. And I thought, oh, well, how cute that is, you know, but that probably doesn't work. Well, I tried it, 
and you get 10 different selections. One of them is Pepe's joke of the day. One of the ones that really made me laugh was you could select how to woo women. And so when you, <laughs> and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to destroy the gag for because again, as a Muppet, he's supposed to be quite the ladies man. Type yes, thing. he is. So again, I, I punched all 10. Um, when you punch how to woo a woman, Peppy comes on and he goes, Woo! <laughs> you have now been wooed. <laughs> that's great. I don't know what I was expecting, but I thought that I, that seems pretty odd. Let's let, let's try that. So so that's a little fun thing you can do, and, and especially if you, if you bring your kids on 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 board. But but again, I I think any person who goes into a Disney theme park or even on a Disney cruise ship. You're ten years old at heart. That's it. Mm-hmm. It does. It doesn't make any difference what your chronological age is. You know, uh, you you uh, you you capture that. You know, and 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 as long as you're there in in the uh, you know uh, the back of the ship, take a look too. At uh, and and by the way, on on on. Deck five there is you're going to to Pepe's uh, uh, stateroom. Notice that the mm-hmm. ceiling is lower and the portholes are smaller because it's right next to the Oceaneers Club, so it makes kids seem bigger. And and again, Disney doesn't control people, it controls the experience. You'll also see that on, on deck four, as as you head back to where the nightclubs are. It looks a lot longer than it is. It, it's forced perspective, and there's less decorations, and that's to keep kids from just wandering back there. A kid will take yeah, a look and go, neat. oh, that's a long way back there. I don't want to go back there, and there's, there's nothing yeah. there. We will hear more from Jim in a future episode because Jim has many more stories to tell, including, you know, the stories of Castaway Key and Lighthouse Point. And he's actually going to talk a bit about the Disney Wish. So, but you'll be back by then, Craig. So, yes, um, I will. But, but anyway, but we'll, we'll look forward to, to hearing about not only your your um, experiences on the Disney Wish. I'm really looking forward to seeing your videos, Craig, on that, Thank because because I've been on all the ships, and I really want to um, sail on the Disney Wish so I can have sailed the fleet. Carol and I went on one of the inaugural cruises for the um, Disney Fantasy back in the day. Oh, that's so, so cool. Yeah, I, I wish yeah. I was on the uh, the inaugural for the Disney Wish, but I wouldn't be able to be in California if I was, so I'm happy doing the christening. And I am yeah. a little bit of a brat there. I am. I realize how fortunate I am to be so incredibly lucky to go on the christening cruise and be there for the christening ceremony and all that. So I hope the content I generate from it is, you know, something that helps people plan their trips, helps bring people joy being able to watch it. And, you know, I hope I hope something good comes from the the really amazing uh, the really amazing gift, honestly, because that's that's what it is. Disney gifting us a spot on mm-hmm. there. So, 
I hope something great comes of it. Yeah. And the Disney Wish is doing, it's going to be doing four-day cruises, right, once it goes into full service? Yeah, it's going to be running its three- and four-day cruises, just mm. like the uh, the Dream was doing the before. Dream. Oh, I wish it'd do a week. When you have a, when it's a new ship, you really want to explore that ship. That time, and you just really can't do that in a four day cruise. Yeah, like it'd be great if it would be like three, four, seven, and just kind of keep rotating like that over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Give give everyone an option for whatever length cruise they want. That's a good idea, actually. I like that. They never we'll see. To me. No, no. But I guess that's why Pete does the back-to-backs. So he yeah. gets that full week. That's, which is now I'm thinking about it. That's a good idea. <laughs> anyway, all right. But now it's time for This Week in Disney History. Yeah, I think I start this week, don't I? I believe you do, yes. Okay, all right. Okay, well, mine is, uh, the date I pulled was July 6th, 1925, because, again, this is one of those dates that's significant in Disney history for sort of the start of something, because this is when Walt and Roy Disney put down a $400 deposit on the lot at 2719 Hyperion Avenue in the Silver Lake District of Los Angeles, California. This is going to be their first real studio, an animation studio. Remember, they've been working out of a storefront for their first few years. Mm-hmm. So um, so this is going to be uh, basically their animation studio for the next 15 years. So and they'll expand on it and grow and they'll, you know, expand to other, you know, structures in the neighborhood and all that. But here... Here is the first Walt Disney Studio starting with that $400 deposit on July 6, 1925. Yeah, that's a very, very important moment, especially mm-hmm. considering what I chose, which <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, the, we already have the best combination with this, where you choose something very meaningful and important, and I choose the one that just jumped out to me. But I, I think I have a decent one this week. Okay. So I always we'll, try to guess what you're going to choose. What, what do you think <laughs> I'm going to choose this one? I don't know. I, I don't remember everything because I always see, mo- you know, I see attraction openings and uh, movie premieres and things well, like that that I think would pique your interest. Well, you got it right after, like, right at the start of this one because uh, <laughs> I chose a ride opening. And uh, this one was from 1988 on July 5th. And uh, I should I should test your trivia, Michael, if you know what it is. But I'm not going to. I'll just tell you. It's um, It was uh, Maelstrom. It opened on oh. July 5th, 1988, to guess. And, you know, it's as I was kind of looking at the important things that happened during these dates, that one jumped out to me just because, I, I don't know, I... I I think I've been feeling a little bit nostalgic for it lately. I love Frozen Ever After, and I think it is such a great way to insert those movies into uh, that space. And yeah, it it doesn't... Disney can say all day and all night that, you know, it it really does 
pay tribute to the Norwegian culture in terms of how it's it's telling the story on the attraction and it's doing a lot of good. I'm sure it is, and I'm sure some people are getting interested in Norway because of it. Uh, but at the end of the day, something like Frozen Ever After is just a fun ride. And that's, mm-hmm. to me, what Maelstrom was. You know, between the trolls, between going backwards, even the oil... Uh, the, oh, the the oil rigs the oil rigs <laughs> at the end it just all was like it all added together to this little fun attraction that you know it was almost guaranteed like it, if it was a busy day yeah you're getting up into the 30 40 minute waits for it but you usually could jump on this thing anywhere around 10 to 20 minutes and it just like it was that solid go-to attraction when you wanted something better than like living with the land or the Grand Fiesta Tour. You wanted a little bit more excitement. You had Maelstrom. And just pulling into the the entire exit of the attraction where you're in that Norwegian fishing village, it just it was one of the most immersive spots of mm-hmm. anywhere in World Showcase. I mean, right up there with the inside of the Mexico Pavilion or the Beer Garden Restaurant. Uh, like, you just... You felt like you were truly in another place in that exact setting. And, you know, I just, I, I'm happy again that we do have Frozen Ever After because I think it is such a charming ride. But there really was something special about Maelstrom. And it's a bummer they couldn't find a way to, to have both of them still exist. But you know what? It will live on forever in my heart. And I'm glad that I did like a really in-depth video on it. I just wish it would have been in uh, 4K back in those days when it closed down. But that was that was back before we were that high tech. So yeah. you know, it'll it's it's already looking dated. But I still I still watch those every now and then. I'm like, yeah, it really was good. It was. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I liked the big polar bears too that they had in it. Yeah, but uh, but um, yeah, it was great. It was like that edutainment. You know, that Epcot was back in the day, where they educated you and entertained you on the attractions. And it's a shame they didn't, you know, keep it up and update it and all that. And I still think it's a shame that the the intro to Frozen Ever After is that they, uh, or whatever the name of that attraction is, is that they didn't... um, to start out at least with a little bit of Norway's folklore. And then, you know, their history of their folklore in the beginning. And then say, and it inspired Frozen and then get into the Frozen attraction. And yeah. um, so at least tied back into, you know, what that pavilion is supposed to be based on. I mean, that would be good storytelling, <laughs> for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, so it is a shame that uh, it, it wasn't handled a little bit better. But you know what? There's there's one thing you can't deny, at least with that Norway Pavilion, and that's that it always has a draw to it. Uh, back in the days of Maelstrom, now in the days of Frozen Ever After, uh, you know, it, it's just whether you're getting school bread there or just relaxing a meeting on an Elsa in the summer hoose. Like there's, there's good things about that Norway pavilion. It's, it's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, I, I, I forwarded you a link, Craig, to this, that uh, a mutual friend of ours, Kevin, not Kevin Close from the Diz, he uh, enjoys wine. And so he sent me this link, link from a, 
uh, a wine website, and it was uh, that the Disney family has sold off the Silverado Silverado Winery that had been started by um, you know Ron Miller and Diane wow. Disney Miller. And I thought that is so sad that they sold it off, so it's no longer in the Disney family of wines. Yeah, that is it, it's really sad, and I mean. I, the one thing that jumped out to me with it is like I, I guess you kind of hope that whoever is like whoever was running the winery was passionate about it and so if if they just kind of lost passion for doing that business and, and running that winery then I, I totally accept that they, they sold it off I don't think it was sold off for like a money reason at all but Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is. It's it, it's disappointing because there is always there is something that is really nice about being on Disney property and having the chance to have one of those wines that's in the Disney or even Star Wars family. Like it's it, you can get them outside the parks, obviously, but it's like that extra connection that you can have. So uh, I and I also hope that the quality of the wine doesn't go down because Silverado was really good wine. Yeah, a lot of people like Silverado, but a lot of my friends, they were members of the wine uh, uh, Silverado Wine Club because of the Disney connection. So it'll be interesting to see how many people stick with it. Yeah, so. I'm I'm sure a lot of people will bail on it, which you know what? That's that's okay too. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, you're voting with your dollars and yeah. you find a new uh, Disney family <laughs> product yeah. to, to support. Or just find. You know, just find a winery closer to you that you enjoy and can go to events and stuff like that. That so, too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was in the grocery store um, this past weekend, you know, trying not to pass out from the prices of everything. I saw a magazine, which I guess they still make magazines, um, in Iraq. And it you will like this one, Craig. And I'm sure you can order it online. The Ultimate Guide to Pixar. And it was mainly, I think, because there was a little little blurb about Lightyear, first look at the new film, and of course it, it featured the cat, which I think says a lot about it. But it goes through the history of the different films with backstories and highlighting different characters, some of the um, voice actors, and all that. And it's just a nice little magazine. So um, folks might, you know, how they make the films, they go through the process, they go through the shorts, a little thing like that. But um, yeah, it covers all the Pixar films, including like the ones that were released to Disney Plus, like Luca and Soul and all that. So, um, you know, they do like a page on each. So yeah. it's, so I would say, you know, it's, it's just a nice, um, nice read if you're relaxing, you know, on a, in an afternoon. And you just want want to learn a little more about Pixar. It's a fun uh, magazine. I, I haven't seen it on my shelves yet, but I just looked it up as you were uh, discussing it. And, you know, of course, there's a lot on eBay right now. It doesn't look like it's selling on Amazon or anything quite yet. I'm sure Ooh, that, that will, surprises me. Yeah, I'm sure that'll come. But, yeah, no, I'm looking, I'm looking at some of the photos of it. And definitely, uh, definitely something I'm going to pick up if I... I ever spot it in stores, but I, I don't know. My uh, <laughs> my wife Kylie might kill me if I bring home any more magazines because yeah. I'm I'm one of those people. If 
if I see uh, one of the uh, the life magazines that they always put out, and it's on like a movie or a subject that interests me, I bring it home immediately, and then it's like, oh, that was fifteen dollars. You better read every single page of that front to back three times to justify that. <laughs> yeah, well, this isn't inexpensive either. I mean, it, it's basically fourteen dollars. Yeah, and. Um, and it says display until eight twenty nine twenty two on in the little under the little QR yeah. code there, but it's 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 produced by Hollywood Spotlight, whatever that is, or it says Hollywood Spotlight. Oh, and then it says down there Cent- Centennial Presents. I don't know if that helps in your search yeah, for the ultimate I, guide to Pixar. Yeah, I'll so, keep an eye for it. We'll update you. In yeah, the I'm surprised it's not on Amazon. But speaking of Pixar, have you seen like the videos and the photos coming out of the new, um, the revamped Disneyland Finding Submarine Voyage? Uh, I only saw the one uh, lead picture that everyone put out of, uh, why do I want to, is it Hank the Octopus? Yeah, Uh, or Crustaceous, whatever they call it, yeah. Um, I saw that one, and I mean, vibrant and beautiful, and I'm assuming on the rocks above the water, so other mm-hmm. people can see it. So uh, he is. He's he looks annoyed at the um, the seagulls that have flown back, and they're they're on their rock again. Okay, see that's that's really. Nice. <laughs> I think that's a very nice touch. Yeah, but they apparently they have added a tremendous amount down in below water. Um, vibrant coral reefs and I think more creatures and things like that. So I think that's one of the reasons this took so much time. They they really they took a lot of elements from the films um and just really just filled the lagoon with um a lot more to look at and yeah. and brilliant colors. It made it I think a lot more um the coral reefs of of Australia, that area. The, and so um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And I'm so happy they put that much time and money into it because it means it's not going anywhere for a while. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it, like, it is so special to so many people. So it feels good to have that win as a Disney fan, knowing that they're saying, like, yeah, we, we, we want to keep it around, too. And not mm-hmm. only do we want to keep it around, we want to make sure that it looks the best that it possibly can be and get the best experience. And yeah, it's, you know, it can be bright and shiny right now and the water will wear it down and time will take its toll on it. But I, I think I think that, you know, those construction walls, what was happening behind there was it, it for it to be as long as it was, it had to be something good. And I can't wait to see it with my own eyes. Yeah, yeah. And you'll be out there in a little while. Yeah, but I'll probably miss that one. So uh, maybe 2023, I'll see it. Oh, okay. Well, maybe you'll see it for the D23 Expo. I forgot I was coming up up for that. (laughs) 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 Uh, And I I just bought the tickets today for the D23 Oogie Boogie Bash. Oh, so did I. So did I. Hey, we can go together. Exactly. That's it's gonna yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's I'm yeah. I, I hate that they cost extra money on that night, but I'm very happy that they're doing that. Me too. I have never been to a Nookie Boogie Bash. Yeah, so I'm, I'm we, looking forward to it. Yeah, we went to the the first year, and it was 
a messy event. It was not worth it in that first year. Uh, but I, based on how people enjoyed it last year, I think if they kind of blend the two, you know, pre-pandemic kind of styles with now where we're living at in this day and age, I, I, I think I, I think they might be able to uh, to really do another really good Halloween event, much better than Mickey's Halloween party for sure. Oh, good, good. So, yeah, I was a little disappointed with what they did at Walt Disney World last year for Halloween. But I, they're bringing back the full party this year. Mm-hmm. So, yep. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Oogie Boogie Bash. Oh, yeah, I'm glad you're going to that. That'll be fun. Okay, well, uh, we just want to wish our listeners a very happy Independence Day for everyone who's celebrating. And, Craig, um, bon voyage to you. Hope you have a wonderful time on the on the wish um christening voyage looking forward to seeing um seeing what you um post online about that but until next time how can our listeners connect with you as always you can find me on all the different shows i'm on the dis unplugged podcast network you can find me on facebook twitter and instagram at teleclaster and you can email me craig at disneyinfo.com but what about you michael well, you still can't email me, <laughs> but on Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Bowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm Bowling the Diz. And you can always connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studios, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disunplug.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive, positive reviews and ratings when possible. Thank you for making us a part of your day, and remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.